1: Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 60. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. What's up? How are you, Rob? I'm doing well. I'm uh, very much in golf mode, which is why I'm very excited for our guests this week. Uh, I attended the RBC Canadian Open this weekend. It was a blast, and we do have the U.S. Open this week. So we're going to welcome in a very special guest, a former co-worker of mine legend around the office at hardcore sports radio about a decade ago you can follow him on twitter at g feinberg 17 he's part of the mayo media network and odds checker us he also loves philip rivers more than you love your own mother jeff feinberg welcome to circles off how's it going jeff
2: It is going well, Rob, and as you sort of just read through my Twitter bio and make that Philip Rivers comment, I've literally had moments where I don't mean to go off topic, but I'm genuinely concerned for every person in my life because if I fell that hard for well above average Philip Rivers, it's really scary. should be really scary to everyone I know where the relationship might go with my heart and and Justin Herbert. If I fell that hard for significantly above average quarterback play in Phillip Rivers,
1: people, um, I'll tell I'll share a story about Jeff. You will you may or may not remember this, Jeff, but this is maybe in the first or second year we were working together. We were probably making like nothing peanuts to work at Hardcore yeah. Sports Radio. Like I'm talking thirty thousand dollars a year, poverty line type of salaries, and. Jeff was such a huge Rivers fan. He wanted to get him on one of our shows. So he pledged that he would donate $500 to the Rivers of Hope Foundation. If we could get Rivers on the show. Remember, we're in our early 20s. This is a big amount of money for us. Ultimately, we couldn't land Philip Rivers. It was very depressing. But uh, that was uh, a very classy move by you, Jeff, to even offer up that $500 at the time. Big, big amount of money.
2: Yeah, weird. I don't know why I I did that. I, don't, I must have still been living at home at the time, Rob. Uh, you know, on that salary, I had to have been to be perfectly honest. Yeah,
1: I was uh, I was living in the street on that salary with the gambling debts I had at the time. But <laughs> such is life. We move on now and. Um... <laughs> Jeff. All right. Let's, let's give everyone a bit of a, a, a personal background. We like to do that with our guests in the, uh, in the intro here, let everyone know how you got involved in the betting space, Jeff.
2: So, you know, like a lot of people, I kind of just been betting forever, but Rob, I guess in many ways, getting into the betting space just correlated with the fact that, uh, that decade ago, I had an internship at the score and maybe I could have been in archives. Maybe I could have been with like the boring people. But I got spun into the wheel of Hardcore Sam and shortly thereafter, uh, you and a lot of other people who have gone on to do fun things in, in, in the space in recent years. So I guess that would be my intro that led to me doing a lot of like grunt work in sports media in Toronto, working at The Score, working at TSN, leading me to take a job at a startup that also didn't pay very well. But at that very place, I I met Pat Mayo and I was sort of at an age where I needed to move on and I was ready to move on. And my wife was ready for me to move on. And I literally told my wife like, no, this guy I'm telling you like, honey, like this guy, Pat, like, let me just stick this out a little bit longer. I, I have a really good feeling about this. And, um, yeah it's just created a lot of different opportunities for me to do a lot of uh different sort of freelance stuff and and make a bit of a a name for myself in the niche ecosystem that is uh golf golf twitter that has grown so much since i started you know that part of it in fifteen sixteen but really since like covid it's kind of like exploded and and then an even bigger explosion as sports gambling has sort of become, you know, overexposed, I guess we could say in the last handful, uh, a bit of time, but all those sorts of things converging at once uh, created this opportunity where I find myself today. And to I guess over the years, Pat and I have been more lucky than we are good at picking golf, but we we've had fun doing it and it has led to um, other really fun opportunities.
1: Well, you've certainly grown your following in the in the golf betting space. Uh, you are kind of like a household figure now. I, I think a lot of my friends who didn't follow my content in, in my early 20s now know you through the uh, advertised Twitter promos for ProLine Plus, uh, where you are a regular face, which I actually
2: find hilarious. Yeah, I find that hilarious too. I've never... Like... I don't I I guess I don't mean I don't mean to like shit on that thing. It was something I did, but I tried to tell these people like you're having me speak right to Ontario. I just speak to golf fans. They had me doing March Madness. They've never even had me do a golf tournament. It's really that that one deal. And I don't mean to go off off track, which um, it kind of just shows you how like no one really knows what they're doing behind the scenes right now. Um, and like there is kind of just money flying into anyone's coffers, I guess. But um, I, I don't it's a really awkward relationship. I hope it continues. That being said, I, I told them, like, I don't think they utilized me properly one time, um, but that's on them. The check cleared.
0: Fair enough. The check cleared. And that, that's really all that's important, <laughs> I guess. We'll have to chat off air on the, the deal specifics because that's uh, that's probably one for the ages we saw they definitely put a lot of money behind promoting that as well because um, it kept showing up on all my feeds. Anytime I'd search anything Ontario betting related at see this guy's face pop up with a pro line plus uh, banner attached.
2: I don't. Yeah. Uh, well, we can end that discussion.
1: Um, Gioff, I came from, Oh, by the way, I should for, fill everyone in. That's me impossible for me to say Jeff, because I know, I know Jeff has off for years from a fellow co-worker so just in case anyone's wondering that's just kind of like a, uh, a nickname that uh, that jeff had back in the day i'm just curious on your take coming off of the rbc canadian open i was there on saturday at saint george's i know i don't think you were able to make it out because of um, the leg injury which seems to be going well in terms of recovery but what were your overall thoughts just watching on tv from friends who may have made it out do you like do you think the tournament ended up being a big success
2: Oh, I thought it was an absolute home run. Golf Canada, St. George's, the leaderboard, every aspect of it. Uh, and as you, I think, mentioned off the top, my club is hosting next year. It's going to be an incredibly difficult act to follow, um, that performance they put on at, at St. George across the board. I think everybody in the golf space like, took notice of of Canada and the fans and, and then, you know, we're, we're such a proud sporting nation to begin with. So I don't think anyone here was surprised by the outpouring of support locally.
1: Do you think that, uh, the score bed is going to have a crane hanging over Oakdale next year for the Canadian open?
2: Possibly. I mean, that was an incredibly, uh, in my opinion, successful activation, just based on the retweets that you get, like from people like, Whoa, I don't think I would go up there I do like a gondola thing like with my kids, like a six and a three-year-old a few months ago. I, I, I didn't enjoy that. So I don't <laughs> think I would enjoy hanging, being suspended up there. I, I don't need to be uncomfortable.
1: My father actually did take the trip up. We um, talked
2: about it last week. Yeah. Was he,
1: it, did it live up? I have some pictures, which I posted in the Stamp Discord. We'll post um, the Discord link on our Circles Off Twitter account for anyone who wants to join that. But... The view wasn't so great. It it was innovative, like it's it's a. But it was just a little bit too far from the golf course. A lot of people's backs, like we suspected, would have their you know, a lot of people would have their backs to the course, but you can't see anything. The chairs kind of swivel like a little bit, but you're harnessed in. Very difficult. I think it's just like more for the market. It's a it's a genius marketing idea. Let's call it out for what it is. Execution. I mean, I was there on Saturday. The crane was on the ground for three hours of the day where it didn't go up. I don't know if it was like calling for rain or winds or whatever, but we're talking about it again for a second straight week. So I think that's just a sign in and of itself
0: that it was a well-executed idea. It's PR, man. Enough about this PR. We're giving too much free (laughs) promo to uh, ProLine Plus.
1: ProLine
2: Plus
0: and the score bet are are loving this
1: episode of Circles Off. But um, Are they? <laughs> We're talking about any, you know this, you know this, Giaf. Any press is good press, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I want to talk golf betting with you. You're one of the most widely respected um, golf content creators and golf betters in the space now, who's built up quite a following over the years. So let's say it's Monday morning. You just woke up. You're probably a bit hungover because I know you indulge in some Crown and Cokes on Sundays usually whether that's in the NFL season or just the final round of whatever Sunday golf tournament is, what's the first thing that you're going to do on Monday to break down the upcoming golf tournament?
2: Uh, I hate, I hate it, Rob. Like I hate having to be right on the wagon on Monday morning and the week happens so fast. Cause you just have Monday through Wednesday, then your content dies. And, um, yeah, I just like to see what the odds are, what's first up there, and then everything from that is like a pivot point of, is that a good number, or is that just better than what dropped first? I just like to see the odds sort of roll out. Uh, I compare it a lot, Rob, to people who, like, on a Sunday night, you see those first football lines come out for the weekend. Right. And, like, you're, you're so fresh on what just happened and what your eyeballs had, and you think you make this opinion, and, and you might even make a bet. But then come like Thursday, Friday, you're like, oh, I don't really feel that anymore. Like you're so past like what your eyeballs thought. and But it happens just so quickly um, in golf. And for the purposes of content, when I first started doing golf or when me and you started betting golf and helping Cam with his segments or, or just producing them, like I wouldn't even look at a golf board until a Tuesday afternoon. And, and me and Pat had some early success doing it. He's like, no, we got to get the show out monday i'm like monday i don't want to look at golf yet like i'm still like into like my head's still about last week but in the content realm that we live if it doesn't get out monday like it's pretty much useless because it's not worth the effort that you put into making the show happen because it expires you know what's the latest someone's actually listening to the show no one's doubt like i'm not no one's downloading it like at 8 p.m on a wednesday i mean maybe they are but You know what I mean? So the shelf life is small, but if we're at a course that they've been to before, then it's pretty easy, Rob. I mean, you would know that. It's a course. It's a regular stop. Next week, we got the travelers. Done. Easy. You can just see the past scores, the past winners. You have your memories of it. You sort of know what player profiles work well there. Uh, It does get a lot more difficult in major weeks when there is such an unfamiliarity with a course or when we go to places that are um, totally brand new. Or even like last week where they hadn't been for for a decade and you're just trying to correlate how the modern players will, will hold up to certain places. So, yeah, I don't know. My head is spinning out of the gate Monday and it's usually just a lot of fat thumb refreshing. Wondering why these websites have like LPGA and seniors odds up, but not PGA odds up. That's really my Monday morning.
1: Now, are you processing those odds in real time on Monday? So like, for example, you'll see opening odds, you'll see them move, uh, you'll try to understand why the move is happening. Like, uh, I mean, there's, I'm in the same boat as you. It's kind of why I find golf overwhelming is because the moves happen so quickly a lot of the times and you just really don't, for me, it's not conducive to my schedule and the timing of the bet. But walk us through what that looks like are like are you opening up multiple sports books is there one that you specifically you're looking at as your your you no know, your early indicator of what the market is just walk us through that first hour or two
2: yeah so multiple sports books are up but you also have an understanding of like the order for which they come right. i mean for the most part they sort of roll out at, at a similar pace and like that one will never show up before that one if it does that is so weird there was a time when one book that's normally first like it was almost lunchtime and it wasn't out yet and you're like you're almost wondering if an accident's taking place (laughs) over there like what is going on because no one else can can react and and yeah you do see lines that like you think that's a great number but you don't really have a comparison to and then you see another uh you know open the guy up at half and you're like well is that number good is that number bad like which which what is the right number? I really do like what I do love is that some books now allow you like a full cash out where it's almost like a move where I can bet that number, like that number, worst case scenario was good for me. If I see better, I can react to better, but like I'm happy if, if that's worst case scenario, and if I want to pivot off that, they get me full cash out. Mm-hmm. I'm also degenerate enough, Rob, where I'm seeing all the lines where if something's good, if I've bet on something and it's going to move against me, there's a chance that I see that wind blowing and I can get out of it. Uh, I still get my full cash out before they even uh, adjust. So I love that cash out feature. It allows me to plant a flag in the ground, yep. but it also allows me to pivot off of it as other places are making other. Um, moves and like you said my monday is dedicated to getting that show done my monday morning is dedicated to getting that show done with pat so i am actually at least you know it's possible i get burned gotta take my kids somewhere but i am for the most part able to like see the wind there are a few people i'm out there people do like my content that's flattering but there are people that are far more methodical than i am that in my opinion actually like can move a number And, um, you know, I'll see what they're what 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 they are up to um, and whatnot. But, yeah, I don't it's honestly like nonstop. Like As you mentioned, my leg, I have physio on Wednesdays, even uh, on Mondays, even after my show. I'm like, like, I'm getting stretched and I'm just sitting there on the (laughs) table like like fat thumb, refreshing, waiting, waiting for the other books, hoping the guy that's like 60 can pop up at an 80 somewhere. You got to get so hitting one of these is, is hard. And I think the numbers are never fair. And I like to have fun and you got to have fun responsibly. And when you do outright golf betting, you've got to be willing to absorb a losing streak. Like I want three in a row and I didn't win for like, like two for like eight weeks, nine weeks is really frustrating, Um. but it's part of it. And then you get to majors and you have people that want to like tentpole bet it. They can take a big L and they're not like coming in to bet the travelers next week. And they're not thinking like, oh, I just need water to find its level on. Uh, If I hit my quota of outrights for the year, like I'm fine. You know, it doesn't have to be a major, but if you're just going to come in for tentpole events and do outrights, there's a good chance you're going to go for five on golf events, the four majors and the players without hitting an outright. That's just right. That is outright golf betting. So, you know, there are more methodical ways to do it, be it matchups and and other things I'm sure you'd want to um, get into. But yeah, my Monday morning is just trying to hawk like the, the, the odds. And I don't think if you hit the favorite, you're getting enough. I don't think if you hit the underdog, you're getting enough, but, this is the only outright golf betting landscape I've ever known. So it's the one I'm sucked into. But to make an outright golf bet or to pick a guy to win with 150 players with the 8 trillion variables that can happen over 18 holes and four rounds that require the luck. I am just trying to project a guy to play well, like to be perfectly honest, like right. I'm making a bet. I think he's going to play really well this week. The win is just like an activation luck. Cherry, right? You know, I like. How do you project a win on on PGA Tour golf? You know, it's pretty wild. It's just, you know, something there.
0: Crazy about the the cash out stuff there. I think that's very very interesting. So you're basically getting you're free rolling the book. Yeah, it's the other way around nowadays. You know. Yeah, it's completely different. I mean, there's so much to unpack from
1: there. There's like a million things that I want to talk to you about from that <laughs> Sorry, one. I went all over the we place. We were staying silent for so long.
2: Time, I'm no I'm that a was, rabbit.
1: That was great. So l- listen, I, I will unpack all these things that you said in there because I think there's a lot of good stuff. But I want to start with what you kind of ended on, which was um, you're, you're you're betting golf outrights market. There's way more variance in this in the sense that you can you can literally go months without winning. You could, If you're betting outright, you for could go sure, the entire sure. season without winning, right? Yeah,
0: especially if you're pu- putting some real long shots, like near, near the top of the board. I mean, we've had other guests on who said, you know, there's usually not value near the top of the board. But if you're betting like 30 and 40 to ones, like that's you hit one a tournament to break. E- sorry, one a season to break even. You're not expecting to win a bunch. Correct. So I, I want to go through like the mental state of that, Jeff, because. That like that's always hard for me to
1: deal with, and it was something that I struggled with with golf betting because you could literally like like I said go months um, without winning, but your process might be sound and you don't really know it. So when you're going through a prolonged losing stretch like that, and I know you've had some before. What goes through your head? Like, are you reevaluating all the things you can do, you're doing? Do you just stay the course? Like, what's happening to you in real time when you're losing on a weekly basis?
2: Like, for example, this season I had a pretty extended one. I was. I didn't think I hit one between Joachim Neiman at Riviera and Justin Thomas at the PGA Championship. But in that period, Rob, I had so, like, even my buddies who don't – They're like you're a second place wizard, and and those can be the most frustrating because second place is literally as hard as first place. Like, at least from the outright like Monday morning perspective of it. So, at least in that case, like I was swimming around the leader so much. The leader, the guy that won, was part of my thought process. Like, I'm like, no, I just got to keep plugging away, doing what I do. There was a period of the golf season where, um that 20 to like 40 to one winner was being abandoned. It kind of was going above it. And then it got to a point with ROM um, and chef, like where it was kind of sticking in, in front of it. Uh, and that can be um, a co- when that happens, that's going to be costly to me. Cause I love living in that like 25 to 55 to one range. Cause that allows me to have fun, make entertaining content where I'm picking like a, a handful of, I guess of, uh, uh, of players, but it's just something I, 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 I remind myself all the time. Like it's going to happen when I'm getting hot. Like I'm prepared thinking like this cold winter is coming. Um, you know, I guess that's all, all part of it. It's incredibly frustrating. When you get blown out in golf, like it's some like in football, like it's, you see, don't feel like you're seeing the board clearly. you don't know that you're making Right decisions. My biggest advice to all my friends that do it on the grind is you just got to take the L's. The worst thing you can do is try to like chase it with a live bet or Sunday. Like, I don't want to turn one tournament loss into a three and a half tournament loss. Good point. Like, or a two and a half tournament loss. Like, I have gotten so much better. Back in the day, Rob, I used to like try to chase an L all tournament, and that got really expensive when you like really got screwed on Sunday or the guy. Guys don't hold their leads, and there's so many trapdoors. Um, outside of ma- like majors are different. It's Father's Day. My wife's just given me the couch and the keys, and it's all mine and the masters. I might find myself overexposing. <laughs> That's like how people might bet the Super Bowl or March Madness. I I'm not here to say like I, I I like part of I think what has made me successful, and it might not work for everybody, is that I've stayed true. Two, like, I'll still, like, bet with the god. I'll still bet favorites. I'll still be emotional about, pers- like, biases. But I do get to have conversations e- each week with the guys, like, behind the models, entrenched in the models. And, you know, they'll throw my perceptions and, like, tell me how, like, false reality they are. And, and then I try to, like, make a blend uh, of it. And, you know, in this concoction that, you know, spits out, picks I'm not beholden to to any kind of model it's it's golf if a guy can't pass your Sunday eye test I think he can make that like big 10 foot putt like I don't care what the math says right I know like that's weird in, in like a pitcher batter matchup sort of way but like to bet a guy you have to truly believe that he can like do it uh you know much I guess like a base but it's not a team uh so I guess there could be a lot to unpack there as well I have a lot of fun doing it but my best advice is like just take your L and move on because there's 48 other weeks of these and it gets messy when you chase them so
0: so here's the issue though all right with with the golf and chasing and not chasing your bets for the average recreational better guy betting looking to have a fun time okay let's say you place five outrights Jeff on uh Wednesday okay so Thursday come you're, you're, you're looking okay you have some fun Thursday Friday comes not so good a day Three of your five missed the cut. One guy's 10 strokes back. Write him off. One guy's five strokes back. Saturday, leader pulls ahead. All your bets are dead, but you still want to sweat on Sunday. How do you not chase? That's the problem with betting golf outrights. is people still want to sweat yeah, the turn. You got
2: to. Okay, so that's part of it. And like if you're single or you're home and the wife's taking the kids out and you're just going to watch golf all day, then I'd say like bet it. Make an entertaining bet. Like I'm not saying not to bet it but like a full chase can get really expensive. Like that's kind of, all. I'm not saying you shouldn't like make another bet on the tournament. You're not allowed to be entertained on the weekend. Cause you made bad bets. Uh, I just mean like, you know, just be responsible. You don't need to turn losing one tournament into losing two and a half. Um, but again, you can do that. And then you don't have to make another golf bet to the next. Like maybe I have, i'm in this position where i want to like not hate myself on monday morning i gotta like do the travelers i gotta do the sanderson farms so i try not to like put myself in those positions where i like hate myself and hate looking at a golf board i think
0: okay so i was just gonna say that but that's the one like thing about golf outrights because they're over four days and there's like you're not really like you're. Ne- you're out of it. Like you, you could lose your bet on the on the third day. It's still a live bet, but you have zero hope of winning it. So like, that's the problem with like for the for the fun of it. It's like how fun is it, man? When you have like a guy in the final pairing, like you're that Sunday, you're sweating hard. It's usually like a plus three thousand. Great time. L-
1: yeah, listen, I-, I completely get what you're saying, and Jeff, you've probably experienced this as well. For a long time, I was doing DFS golf, right? Yeah. And you enter the max lineups in a tournament. You enter your 150 lineups, whatever. Most of those lineups, you're going to have like 70% ownership of one guy. That guy misses the cut. Okay, like all my lineups are now dead on Saturday. Am, am I going to be prepared to watch the weekend golf without any action in it? No, it's difficult to do. But it, it's it's like the balance of recreational versus you know, spiral, spiraling like down if that. If you problem. lose
2: your total shirt, like you lose, you go one in seven on an NFL Sunday. Should you try to win all six of those L's on Sunday Night Football, or like just get like one in at one? Of like you know, just bet it like a game, like it's a game, like one game. That's kind of just, I guess, what what I mean. Don't get me wrong. I, my card is over. It's Sunday morning. I want to bet a guy six to one in that second last group. A couple back because I'm going to be sitting and watching it but I'm not like trying to make the whole week perfect I guess um is is my would be my my point and and again I'm speaking as someone that's like got getting right back on the wagon next week that yeah. isn't just like doing tent pole tournaments so it's it can be a very different perspective i have buddies just like for the US Open like you don't bet golf who should you bet for the US Open it's so weird that I would say, I don't know, pick two of Thomas, Rahm, and Scheffler. But if you, like, bet golf, I'd give you, like, my card with guys between 30 and 50 to 1 and say, no, do this. Like, it's a really weird, like, thing. I I, I don't know. That's golf's, uh, yeah. Golf's weird like that, I guess.
1: I think in, in outrights markets, um, that's not uncommon, where, like, someone will ask me, okay, who should I bet? And it's like, what's your goal? Like, it, are, are you trying to maximize your expected value or do you want someone in contention on Sunday, likely to be in contention on Sunday? That might not necessarily exactly. have the best value, right? So, you know, if I'm if I'm telling one of my friends who's going to watch the major, you know, the US Open all week, I'm probably going to, you know, recommend someone who's likely to be there on Sunday. That way they can have a sweat. But if I'm talking to another one who really understands betting and their goal in the long run is to maximize their EV. Then I'm going to give them the best EV place. and that might include somebody who's at 150 to one, who has a very small percentage chance of winning, but should probably be priced at 80 to one instead, or something like that. So uh, I get that. I think what's really fascinating about you, Jeff, um, and you've de- you've already described this as the way you know I've, as you've gone through here is uh, your handicapping style is like this amalgamation of all of these things. So there's like some data perspective. Some of it is gut feel. Some of it is listening to the people around you and who they might like. Some of it is just finding, um, you know, I don't want to say stale prices, but potentially off-market prices or something like that at a sports book. If you had to boil it down to one, like something that is your true style, if you had to go with something and you could cut out all the others, what is it going to be for you?
2: When it comes to golf i believe you could beat like the top three players in the world if you had to stare them in the eye like tied on sunday like i get like i i I, like to make a goal like the thing with golf betting too is sometimes like okay that like could be a great number i don't think you're gonna win so like uh, like that's an 80 to 1 it should be 50 but it's like I don't know. I don't like you to win the tournament, so that doesn't mean anything to me. It's not like getting two and a half points on a football, on a on a football spread. I still have to believe that you can win the golf tournament. Um, but but so much of it now is just it's the data, it's the data and the gut. Like it's just this blend. I need, I like seeing my uh, realities and perceptions meet. Uh, right, like my eyeballs are telling me. Yeah, Everything is trending well for player X. And then I go on to the data and it's just showing like it's formation bias, Um, I guess, in, in that in that data. But I, I don't know. I'm not afraid to. I get sometimes picking the same guy a lot, but it's worked for me because. These guys are 30, 40, 50 to one. And I believe like they're winners. I believe that win is imminent. And I just like feel like I, I, I've I, been successful in, in identifying that player and then getting that win like in the summer. And as you mentioned, it, it only takes one to make that player profitable for you sometimes. Uh,
1: I want to break down when you say the data. Um, I want to break that down a little bit because that can mean very different things to to many different yeah. people. And you brought up the baseball, uh, which I think was a great example earlier of a lot of people would say, oh, you know, I use data for breaking down baseball. And then one guy would be like, yeah, I like to look at batter versus pitcher stats. And some other person would be like, well, why would you do that? It's a small sample. It's a complete waste of time. And he'd be like, well, it worked for me for the over the years. And what I tend to notice with golf betters is that everyone has a different opinion on what data sets are valuable. So you get people who are like, course, history matters. If a guy has played well at this course, I typically want to back him going forwards. There might be someone else who says, well, it matters, but it's already priced into the market. There might be someone else who says, it doesn't matter at all. It's the course fit. It's how the course is broken down more so than the history there. And then you get other stuff like strokes gained, where someone's like, I you know, I only look at strokes gained, off the tee approach. And someone would be like, well, strokes gained off the tee. I mean, I like to look at uh, you know, a more refined approach set of stats which includes their accuracy versus their distance and stuff like that so when you're talking about data jeff i'm curious as to what is valuable to you and specifically on the um i guess the topics of course history and strokes gained are those
2: things that you think are valuable okay so i acknowledge like i am incredibly spoiled when it comes to this like matter just as an example, getting to, you know, work with you a decade ago, when I say I'm into the data, that could have literally meant I got to turn my chair around and ask Rob Pozzola a question like uh, as silly and then going to fancy and having like just full access to um, turning my chair around in the office and getting to ask Pat a question before. You know, now it's, you know, I'm I, I'm very much um, invested and support like fantasy national and the type of things you can do there where you can pick your your course conditions or your stat models which stats you want to key in on this week and i i'm for- fortunate to get a speak to pat to speak to people like uh Rick Gaiman like i am i guess my situation is very like unicorny and that i have my opinions Rob. but i get i am lucky enough to be surrounded by like people who are so deep into that other stuff that I um, can just make this total blend, but I'm very much into the uh, the the golf data and the strokes gained. You know, the approach, the around the green, whatever I'm per- whatever's pertinent to me uh, that week. I like to load up, and I like to see a lot of uh, green trends around the players that I'm supporting.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Now I want to pivot a little bit here to this week because we have the U.S. Open. This is not a picks podcast. We very, very rarely do that. In fact, last time I think we did, we had you on, Jeff, for the Super Bowl halftime special. But uh, I want to talk more so about general strategy around majors because, again, I think there's a lot of differing opinions on this as well. Um, I tend to see people say uh, at majors, they typically only want to bet guys at the top of the board because the courses are going to play a lot harder. Um, Looking at the course this week, I've seen the rough around the greens. I've seen that the greens are basically like glass this week where like nothing sticks at all. Um, Is that something that you typically buy into uh, at the majors where you just want to back the top horses? um, Or is it just treated like any other tournament?
2: No, I think you really do need to, especially the U.S. Open. They've given us a pretty clear player profile type. And we go to these courses rob that we are very unfamiliar with so that creates a lot of unknowns so for me the safety net truly is the prototype um and you know dustin johnson brooks brooks woodland bryson rom i mean the usga is giving us a path and until they tell me or show me that i need to pivot i think i'm gonna die on that on that path to be perfectly honest and the other majors in many specifically the PGA championship can follow that uh, in the course selections that they do go to. Um, and yeah, to your uh, almost opening point for major championships, I do believe in that Brooks Kepka theory where probably like 78% of the field, you might be able to put a, an X through their name before we even tee off on, on Thursday mornings.
1: Just out of curiosity, unrelated to betting, do you enjoy it more when they set up these courses to be extremely difficult? or like d- does that interest you more in watching the players struggle? Like majors, we've seen majors before where players finish over par, which um, you know you hear a lot of complaints at the press conferences afterwards about how hard the courses and so on and so forth. Just as a casual fan and not a better, do you enjoy seeing that?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, I, I think it. I love see what the USGA does. You hope that they can keep the integrity's the integrity of the tournament for over four days. Uh, field integrity would probably be my most important, you know, factor in in a major. But I do enjoy that. But I, like I said, this kind of goes back to Rob. Like I'm in this, I'm on this train for the entire year, so I'm part of it when it is like 26 under, like at Craig Ranch and. And when we have the the swing season, so I get it all, but I really do enjoy um, these sorts of events. I don't, I don't doubt that. Like last year when we made the turn at the U S open and your leaderboard had like Bryson, Rory, Brooks, Rom, Louie, Morikawa. And and it was just almost like a survival of the fittest finish. And ROM hits those putts. uh, I, I think that's the best. I really do.
1: I, I go back and forth with it. Do you have an opinion, Johnny? Do you do you like harder golf or easy golf? Like, is does it matter to you, or is this all the
0: same? Like, okay, personally, I like when I'm watching the tournaments. I like it more when it's kind of like not easy to get a birdie. Yeah. So like, it's like, okay, this is the hole where he could get a birdie. Like, this is a birdieable hole, and then where there's another hole where it's like, okay, if he there's a shot legit shot at a bogey. So if you're like watching and sweating a matchup, you're like, okay. This guy, they're tied, but this guy played one extra birdie hole and this guy played one less bogey hole. So actually I'm up, I'm up right now. Like I like that level of intricacy. Yeah, see, I go back and forth on it because we, we come off the Canadian Open last
1: week where the final uh, the final threesome wasn't a pairing was Finau, um, McElroy, JT, who are just like carving up the course. But I found what it-
2: What
0: did Rory finish with? 19 under? What was the winning score, Jeff? Do
1: you remember offhand?
2: Yeah, I believe it was nineteen. Yeah, nineteen or eighteen. 19. But like,
1: Finau, Tony Finau shoots a sixty-four in the final round, doesn't even come close to sniffing the win. Nor did it ever feel like he was in contention. But I kind of like that. I like when guys are dialed in, um, and, and like you see all those birdie opportunities and possibility for guys to just make up a lot of ground. I'm not a huge fan of like the super like. A guy hits an amazing shot and like it just rolls off the green because the green's a, a cement. Okay, I think you know? that
0: it's easier to, it's more, it's easier to come back and make for more exciting golf when like the winning score is like minus five for the tournament, minus four for the whole tourney. Because then it's like, it's not as much variance. When you go like, when it's an easy course, it's almost um, like, I guess somewhat of a guarantee that like the golfers who are at the top of the board are gonna are going to win the tournament.
2: Yeah. And the problem is it's the fine line that it creates and the USGA fights this battle each year because they want to make it really tough. But to Rob's point, the second like you're not being rewarded for hitting a great shot, that's when it's not good. Like to me, that's when you have now crossed a line. Uh you should be penalized for bad shots, but great shots, good shots, you should be rewarded for them. And that's when the players, I think, really start to get frustrated and lose their cool. Is when they hit that exacting shot, and it and it plays out as Rob, as Rob mentioned, and and we've seen that with the USGA. Like they've even admitted mistakes at the end of days where they get weather or certain situations wrong, and they totally lose a course. And with it, you could argue they lose the integrity uh, of a championship.
0: Well, I, I guess technically, the, what should the what should the cut line be for a PGA tournament? Par? Even par? If even par no, no, even the- less.
1: Even a, a cut, I think you can you can be like a few over, and and the, that's a good cut line because it's usually t- cut lines usually roughly ten strokes off the lead, so ten under would be like
0: playing fairly easy. So let's say five over as a cut line. <laughs> um, yeah, they. I I don't really know exactly like how that stuff works, but what I'd say is I I'm way more entertained when. There's like, it's kind of difficult and you can really just scope out and like, okay, a par is, is nice for a hole. And you might, you might get a bogey in like two birds or three birds per round. And then that way it's more interesting when someone does make that birdie. So my theory on this is that a lot of people would agree with you. If the birdie's the norm, it's not that no, fun. I agree. But
1: I, I think my theory on this is a lot of people agree that they like to see it more challenging because it makes the pros look like them when they go play the course. Like, you know, Rufus, a a mutual friend of ours is is in Boston this week and he was watching like some practice rounds as they set up for the US Open. And he's messaging me yesterday saying, these guys cannot hit out of the rough by the green side. Like literally 40% of the shots I'm watching them practice around the green, the ball is not getting out of the rough.
2: Yeah, no. I'm hearing great quotes, like, these guys hit the ball out of the rough, and they approach the green, like, they don't know where their ball is. And that's like us, raw Like, we hit a ball, like, we knew it got up there, but, like, we don't have a clue where it is. And that's such an amazing, like, to hear that being said about them, like... you you're literally going up there to find your ball. Like that's what we do every single time we play on. they goal. got the spotters, but though.
1: like, but people, re- so, uh, but the spotters don't like the Canadian open played very easy, like, so like extremely, extremely easy. Yeah. But, Minus but I, nine, I would, I was on the 18th hole watching drives come down and they would go into the rough and the spotter would go over there and mar- mark it and point it out. The golfer and the caddy would go up there and they still couldn't find their ball. Cause the rough was so deep that they actually had to look, they'd have to call spot. They would spend a couple minutes still looking for the ball that they knew exactly where it was. It's a little bit ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Okay. I guess because like for us, if we're on the course, like we're we're swiping the club, like we yeah, don't exactly. care about We're we we kicking our feet, accident. you yeah. know,
1: like trying yeah. to. Give, it's
0: it's a bit of a joke Rob when Rob's like, moving those, his ball onto the fairway.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> okay, I'm, always,
1: I, I'm always giving myself a line. You know, uh, you notice how I always find my ball in the woods and I have a line to the green. It's not by accident. Like you know, it's a, I'm I'm not going to be that guy who's who's chipping out like backwards. You know what I'm saying?
0: If Rob punches out of the woods and he's like, oh, I didn't have a line. He punched out. That means he really lost his ball, <laughs> dropped another out of the pocket and then punched out. No, I'm kidding. He's not even a cheater. He's a big sandbagger. If you play for, if you play people for money, but that's why I don't play him for money. Jeff, when you golf, um, I know you'll be back
1: out there soon. Hopefully the leg recovery, uh, you know, the leg heals well in time for you to get out for some, some rounds this year. Um, how honorable are you when you're on the course? Like, are, are you treating it like you're a pro when you're out no, there with your buddies? If we're
2: playing for money, then that's like different. Like then we'll have our rules. I will never hit a, from a bad lie. Like, I don't mean like I won't hit from the rough, but I mean like, no, I'm not even keeping a uh, score. Like I keep score, but I just mean like, it's not like ha- hardcore. I'm not, if the ball's beside the tree, I'm just gonna like put it, where it's not a problem. Like, I don't care.
0: Yeah, you're not, if we're you're not breaking your club on the break, Then
2: that's a different situation. We've got to sort of deal with that. We'll make our game rules. But uh, any way other than that, no, I'm going to hit like, I'm going to just take a, a better lie and hit my bad shot that way. Honestly, I agree. For our
0: level, of, like where Rob and I play, like it just makes the game less. It's so much less enjoyable if you have to like hit out of hard rough. Because then you're like, Put or even if it's like, uh, but like on if your a ball's at a ground, at, yeah. right in front of a tree, right? Like I'll play with some of my buddies
1: who are like, they'll like I'll, I'll move the ball and they'll be like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "We're not on the the pro tour here." First of all, I mark that as a stroke every time I move it, anyways, because I want to keep my real handicap. So like I, I'm still keeping like it's just I'm not actually hitting the shot where I have to go backwards and like you know what I'm saying? Like give yourself a lie to get to the green. I never understand that amongst like the recreational amateur golfers who are like. Oh, like it's basically a happy Gilmore, right? The, the rules state you must play the ball as it lies. It's like, what are we doing here?
0: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're in agreement with us, Jeff. That Jeff, way. when are you going to be able to get out for a round of golf? How's the uh, situation? I'm thinking Lower body injury?
2: Like a couple of weeks. I'm thinking like I'm pretty close. I, I kind of got the end of this month like earmarked to be honest. So we'll see.
1: It would be, yeah, it would be nice to play uh, again this summer true story I played at Jeff's home course um which will be uh, home of the Canadian Open next year and in 2026 I believe I think it's two years right um yeah, what course Oakdale beautiful there's 27 holes there I can't remember which um which two nines Jeff took me out on but I would like to get out again Jeff because I literally played the worst golf of my life
2: on yeah, that yeah, day we're I played with get you. out again and, and I, I'm gonna I mean, I'm gonna invite cam and I'm gonna screenshot it Because I invited him last time, too. Like, there's no way I invited you to golf, Rob. And I didn't include think like, oh, like Cam wouldn't like, let's just play the two of us. I'm not going to invite Cam. So that's why. No, did I tell Cam like, oh, it's my private club? No, I just said me and Rob are golfing this day. I want you to come. I didn't like say like roll out a red carpet on an invite, um, which I guess led to some confusion through football season. Uh, there'll be no confusion next football season. We'll put it that way.
1: Jeff is referring to Cam Stewart, uh, who is a, a host here in Canada, who we uh, worked alongside for several years. But um, yes. The raging redhead. The raging redhead, as he's known. Everyone at every horse racetrack in Ontario will recognize him. Every casino in Ontario, he will get recognized as well. But yeah, Cam was... Uh, he. I, I reached out to him last year, beginning of summer. Give me some dates that we can get out, me, you, Jeff, and I, I can't remember who I was going to invite as the fourth. Maybe maybe a, a former colleague of ours, Eric Cohen. But I said to, uh, to Cam, give me some dates. Guy's like, yeah, no problem. I'll get back to you. Never gets back to me. I'm hosting with him during football season last year on the Mayo Media Network. Guy calls me out for not inviting him out to golf. I'm like, buddy. Receipts yeah. are right here. He's also ripping Jeff. He's like, oh yeah, Jeff, beautiful course. Never sends me an invite. Everybody sent this guy an invite. He just <laughs> never gets back to them. So, um, but that was a beautiful course, but true story. I felt so much pressure
2: playing in front of this guy, in front of Jeff. Like I, I suck. I'm the worst. It doesn't, I'm a hack. I, I don't even like keeping score. I, it's like getting on the scale. Like if I'm hitting my irons nice... It's like putting your pants on and they're looser. Like, I don't need to make two putts to know that I'm losing weight. I know that I'm golfing better. If I'm putting my pants on and the button's not doing up, I know I'm getting fatter. If I'm topping balls, I know I'm playing like shit. I don't need a number because I couldn't get chip because I couldn't chip to get up and down. I need a score. Like, I'm not dissing scoring. I like scoring playing with my friends. I'm just saying, like, I know by how I'm hitting it. The na- scoring in golf like at our level when I'm na- I'm not practicing chipping ever. So how can I ever actually score at golf? Like if I have an hour and a half, I'm going to try to get out on the course and play as many holes as I can. I'm not going to a green or a bunker for 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 2 hours. That's just like I don't have that kind of personality. So I kind of get that I'm going to I'm not saying I've plateaued because i like to get older and have more free time and 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 practice more, but uh, yeah, and I will say my biggest regret, one well, of my biggest regrets in life is not like golfing at nine years old. Yeah. I wish I had 20 more years of chips in these wrists. Yeah, yeah. like you yeah. imagine having 25 more years of chipping in your wrists? How you'd much be better unreal. at golf you'd be? Of course. golf's also yeah. a life skill. You got children, people get them out there. Like, oh, I wish I regret not like taking advantage of my dad trying to get me on the golf course. Epic miscalculation, I tell you. Yeah,
0: I want my kid to be an unreal golfer. And then people are like, oh, well, how did you so good at golf? It's like, yeah my dad put me in early. Like, oh, is your dad golf? Nah, he's trash. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: That's going to be the story. Nah, he's I junk. I guess with the live money,
2: yeah, people will be chasing the, go- the golf dream too now. It's true. So, yeah,
1: I mean, while we bring it up, just what, what was your perspective on that? We talked about this last week. Uh, obviously, you can look at this from a number of perspectives, but uh, I'd like to focus mainly on the players. Like, do you view any of the players who've joined the Live Tour any differently than you did beforehand?
2: Yes and no. I think everyone, like, they all have the right to do whatever they they want to do. It, it makes total sense. It's It's more money for less dates. It's guys that, for the most part, like, you know, just want to don't want to like maybe golf when they're 60 and do that whole PGA into champions tour and, and just retire. So, so no, I don't, I don't besmirch them. I do think it's weird. Um, you know, like, like Phil, just like in the nutshell guys, like when you look like what he is worth, like in the way Jack and Arnie are just so prominent, in their older age like it's a really weird thing that he might have potentially given up but he got he got paid to do it i will just say selfishly i don't like change i don't like when my favorite website changes so who's you know you invest all this time in life and i'm not even talking about the betting aspect of the pga tour we've invested so much time and energy into the pga tour that i'm just i care um i'm not saying they're right or wrong i just just care. I don't care to watch live, but I'm so fascinated by it. But no, I don't hold it against the the players. But I do think that they have to live in the bed that they're going to make. And you've ever seen a guy get 200 million? And like, shouldn't they be having a press conference at the Four Seasons, like holding up a big check in a gimlix jersey or a, a High Flyers jersey with a smile? Like you're a Scott Boris client. Like, there's just this whole weird vibe around all of it, you know? That's-
0: yeah, well, people are trying to attack other people for, I guess, call it achieve a certain level of success or whatnot, but.
1: Or you could you could do it outside the four seasons total landscaping as well what instead of the actual. Any-
2: yeah, I just, <laughs> you know, it just at the moment, it's an exhibition. And the moment yeah. they get more players, that will change. But in the current format, and I want to go as far to say, I, I think, it's been a success and I don't think it's been celebrated enough of of the success that it is. When you do consider friends at Riviera at the masters, this thing was declared dead before it started, like dead in the water was major publications like dead before it started was what major publications headlines were as it pertained to this. And that was April. So if you take those headlines and then you, you attach to what happened a week ago, well, that has to be a success, yeah. And Portland, in a couple weeks, is going to probably be a bigger success. And and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I'm just incredibly fascinated by it. I don't even know if I answered your question, Rob. I'm well, sorry. No, it's, it's listen, fine, listen to this,
0: though. There's different types of people, right, who want to do different things with their life. And it's okay to be like, I don't want to be the best golfer in the world and play with the best competition. I'll chase the money. Like, you have, like, Rahm and Rory who are like... Look at the quality on that tour. It's garbage. I want to be the best. I want to be the best in the world and, like, leave my mark as the best golfer of all time. Like, I don't care about the money. I'm good on money, right? And then you have DJ. Someone's like, hey, buddy, like, what are you going to do in the uh, over half the year where you're not going to golf now because there's barely any tournaments? And he's like, okay, listen, like, I don't know if you could have figured this out, but... Like, they're paying me so much more money, and now I don't have to golf. And, like, I never even really liked this that much. So, like, this is a home run. It really is, like, um, it's a it's a best of both worlds for certain people. Like, DJ obviously doesn't love golf as much as a guy like John Rum who's younger and wants to be it, the best in the world. DJ's like 200, whatever he's getting. He's like, okay, and I don't have to golf that much? Perfect. See ya. You Sayonara.
2: Almost, you, you almost wish this was in, like, the NFL, because you get this example of, I'm going to draft this D-tackle from Alabama is this kid happy to just make the NFL and get this contract and this money? Or does this kid want to be truly great and live can be like all those guys that just want the cash grab. Like that's where it would just want, you know, making it is the win. Yep. You got to go to live all the guys that like want to play against the best and try to achieve something. You got to stay here. I, I don't know. Um, I guess, what the craziest part about it is at the moment, the power, it feels like Augusta national has, and they're probably relishing in this power, <laughs> but to consider that Augusta national, like might actually hold the fate of the PGA tour in its hands because they're the ones that can help them in their stance for like legacies important and they can drain these guys out and then make efforts. If you ban Augusta from those guys, then you make efforts to do their best to keep the young stars. What I do believe is likely potentially is that all past champions will be honored. I don't think that's a fight Augusta wants, but they could make it incredibly difficult for anyone else to ever get into their tournament. Um, Yeah. So that's maybe what I see happening, but again, I don't know. I'm just so fascinated on what live means. I watched eight seconds of it, not to even insult it. I just do not care about what's happening on the course and from a betting perspective i've already joked i bet i bet the live event like it's a thursday night football and here's some first touchdown bets and i'm going to try to hit two tight ends at like 12 to 14. <laughs> don't, hey, to don't let that secret like that out of the of where bag my mindset is donald parham yeah like a first that's sort touchdown. of where my mindset is on betting in units with live
0: yeah, we uh, we
1: we we like to go for the tight ends who are are gonna see the field in the red zone. I mean, it's there's
0: still a little bit of value there, but um, yeah, understood. I think it's this is like I said this last week, but it's like UFC and Bellator, like UFC and PFL. Like you're not as soon as you leave the UFC, you just acknowledge you sign it away that you're not gonna be ever like considered the greatest of all time, best in the world. You know, the guy, but also. Like some people don't care about that and they're happy to just make a little more money and provide for their family and then just call it a day. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that uh, in terms of that. I think we should probably be like celebrating that, like, you know, whatever it is. But in some capacity, like there is now and and I know a lot of people don't agree with like, you know, potentially where the money's coming from and stuff like that. But I do think it's overwhelmingly positive that there is a market for more golf, which creates more opportunity for younger players to get into it, grow the sport make it whatever it is. Like as soon as more money comes into it, that means more money, more eyeballs, more interest, stuff like that. Now, granted we have to tread water on like, okay, well, where's the money coming from? Where's all this stuff doing? And I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, like growing the sport is, is usually a good thing and providing more competition. is almost always a good thing.
2: And I've been pretty vocal about it this week through the U S open that, um, the only people I think are wrong, their opinions are wrong about Liv, are people who are saying, let's not talk about it. Why are you talking about it? Why are you bothering me about it? Like Brooks Kepka, Yeah. You can go, and that's cool. You can, like, you're allowed to go or not hate the guys that are going. That is totally cool. And you're allowed to hate them, and you're allowed to hold 9-11 against them, too. If that's the angle you want to take, like, I allow you to take it. But this, this notion that, like, why are you trying to overshadow the U.S. Open with this? You're putting a dark cloud on it. That's hogwash to me. This is the biggest golf story in a, in a lifetime, and every player who's been attached to it has to say something. And Scotty Scheffler's not being asked about it this week. Why? Are they giving him a free pass? No. He's answered his question so articulately, articulately about it that there's nothing left to say. Do you think John Rom's is going to be asked about it again like he was yesterday? No, because he made a great answer and there's nothing left to say. Brooks kept going to say, "Why, why you after three questions, why are you talking to me about this? I haven't spoken to my brother Chase in a week. Like that bothered me the most. Brooks did a worse job than Phil. Phil was the first presser out there. He took questions. He stood out there as bad as it looked. It's Phil Mickelson. You sometimes like him more when he comes off as this flawed figure. Like he endears himself in the same way every time Tiger had a scandal, it, it almost made him more likable. Like, I'm not even joking when it comes to Phil. Brooks Kevkin has come off as the most unlikable player in the lead up to the US Open.
1: He's definitely the most unlikable player for me because of the amount of money he's cost me over the years, <laughs> where I was, I, I'm, I'm like that guy, like. There's no way that there's this guy that can just keep elevating himself during majors. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. This is all random luck. I've stuck to that, my guns, for years. And then, of course, we know how that turns out most of the time. Um, In terms of some actionable info, Jeff, um, do the Chargers run any three tight end sets? Because if they do, then we can probably get Trey McKitty... At like 80 to one first touchdown scores at some books early on in the year before the books start to adjust.
2: Okay. I, I like where you're thinking Highlighting <laughs> in there behind uh, Everett and, and Parham, you could be onto something Rob, uh, cause they do like him a third round pick from last year. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm actually, I, I like where your head is at on that. Donnie um,
0: Parham Jr. is a, uh, always a lock for, for Par, first Parham is targeted
2: better,
1: quite a bit in the red zone, yeah.
2: and I don't want to like lament this right now. But the entire the Charger season, like everything changed when he when with that th- that first possession in that Thursday versus KC for whatever reason, like that's where the whole season, like everything, kind of went off the rails at that exact moment. Not to mention, like a lot of people, I had a first touchdown bet on that uh, on that play as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. But, Rob, I'll tell you, I've hammered the Chargers over 10 minus 118 wins. I know the exact like win data shows that they might not even be favored in 11 games, but I don't care. I, I am projecting greatness.
1: I'll tell you this. It's going on a half dozen years now. We're going into the year. I'm like, I love the Chargers. I'll bet some sort of Chargers futures. They always, always disappoint. I am not going to bet Chargers futures this year and they will win the Super Bowl. They're just very, very
0: average. Very average. Extremely. I
2: I love that. I love the Chargers.
0: I love the Chargers.
2: But, Rob, and I could probably find the messages. They're the exact same message. They're like, I love the Chargers. If their offensive line holds up, they could be amazing. And they have finally like the Philip Rivers era is over because that's where you would always send me this message. You'd be like, is Okun like still good? Like what's (laughs) going on there? All that crap. There probably hasn't been a team that's invested more in the offensive line in the last year in the National Football League between Lindsey Slater, Filer, another first round pick this year. So they're like doing it. They're doing what you've asked just like eight years too late. They never did that for Philip. They clearly know that if you protect Herbert, he'll make everyone around him an absolute God.
1: I agree with you. I uh, I hold them in high regard for this year, and I wish uh, the Chargers the best of luck. Gioff will wrap up on this. It's our closing question we ask to every guest on this podcast. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, What piece of advice would you
2: give to your old self? I probably I've actually been thinking about this a lot um, because I think like Dave Portnoy is essentially like a Howard Stern of our era. And I don't care about like the stoolie bro stuff, just like what he created. And this is going to be micro. But if I allowed a live camera on myself during that Week <laughs> 17 Charger Raider game, Rob, I would probably be a full-time barstool sports employee right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've actually- I mean it. I mean it. Because I rewatched, like after my, my surgery, was the first time I rewatched it. Because I was drunk as hell, I'm sure, when it happened live, and it ended sad, so I didn't want to relive it. And one night, not being able to sleep, I watched the last 10 minutes of the game didn't watch the overtime if it had a camera on me during that like herbert comeback and that overtime no no timeout sequence yeah i probably would have been one of those guys like on the couches beside portnoy for live streams now I mean that did, I would have did you not it join me just
1: pure natural did you not join me for a Twitter spaces in like the first quarter of that game or did I did I give no did,
2: I think I you asked me I think I turned it down I'm like I don't think I can game. do that yeah. Rob too I, much too and much. then I joined you the next week for the Monday nighter for Rams Cardinals which was the most boring oh. game ever because yeah I, I didn't you off you asked I said Rob I just I'm not committing I'm not committing I'm not committing, I'm not committing oh man uh I don't know that that's my biggest regret but like in short my I don't know why but I, that would have been bad I also could have been canceled so that could have gone both ways yep it would be working at Barcelona fully canceled I mean crazy that I said
1: it's very possible in this day and age that you would have been canceled <laughs> uh it's Jeff Feinberg you can follow him on Twitter at gfeinberg 17 you can catch his stuff on the mayo media network where he was the runner-up marginally. As the most insane person this year, marginally runner-up. Check out his stuff as well. Odds checker US. Jeff, thanks for joining us this week. Go Chargers. Good luck with your US Open bets. Thanks, Jeff.
2: All the best, boys. Anytime.